<laughs> you have come through the circle of darkness? The Stargate, yes. Then you must be of his brethren. I beg of you. Mary is so young. She did nothing to warrant sacrifice. Whoa! What sacrifice? If you leave her body, the village canon may choose another possessed soul. You think we're demons? <laughs> Welcome back to Stargate Weekly. I'm Thad Haight. And I'm Stuart Hollis. And this week, we're going to talk about Season 3, Episode 8, Demons. Yes. I was possessed while watching this episode by how kind of bland it was. That was not your best work. No. Just like this episode was kind of not their best work? Yeah. Okay, that works. It originally aired on the 13th of August, 1999, and was directed by... It was directed by Peter DeLuise, uh, who, as I think we've discussed, in every episode that he is involved in, he appears as a cameo. In this case, he's one of the screaming running around villagers. Didn't even notice. <laughs> and it was written by Carl Binder or Binder. I, you know, not knowing the man, I'm not sure. This is... The only SG-1 episode he wrote, he did contribute a little bit to 200 uh, as well, but this is the only one that he has a sole writing credit for. But he was a he will later be a creative consultant in seasons 9 and 10, uh, and an executive producer on Atlantis and Universe, and write 23 episodes of Atlantis and 7 episodes of Universe. Uh, looking through his credits, the, the ones that I saw that I liked, we're like, oh, okay, those are good. Uh, on Atlantis, he wrote The Game and Midway. Ooh. Yeah. Both very fun episodes. Yeah. This is the second episode in a row without Donna's Davis. Yeah, that uh, that hadn't occurred to me, but yeah, you're not wrong. So I guess Hammond can't come in and save the day single-handedly. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But hey, we have different music. Didn't even notice. <laughs> Are you serious? You didn't notice like the the like Gregorian chant type music? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, see, this is like kind of like the drawback of the fact that this is not my first time through the through the show. Oh yeah, and I think that we get the Gregorian stuff again. Oh yeah, like, a lot in season all nine the and time 10. in seasons <laughs> nine and ten. Yeah. <laughs> so it didn't stick out to me as like. Oh, crazy off-the-wall music. Right. But, you know, for, at the time, this was the first time we had heard this music in Stargate. And we yeah. wouldn't hear it again for a while. So, and it was different from, and just last week we talked about how they use the same music every episode. So, just thought I'd point out that we have different music in this episode. Well, I appreciate you pointing it out because, like I said, <laughs> it just went right over my head. So, our synopsis from TV Guide. 
The Stargate team wanders into a medieval civilization where they are mistaken for demons. Okay. That's not the worst. I mean, yeah, like, there we go. Thanks. You know, that that's the first five minutes. Thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh... Stargate Wiki is SG-1 arrives on a planet where the inhabitants believe they are demons because they traveled through the Stargate. Teal'c is accused of witchcraft. Wait, the inhabitants think that they themselves are demons? I believe they are trying to say the inhabitants think SG-1 are demons, but as is so often with the Stargate Wiki, the grammar is... Yes. Questionable. As as we've discussed. (laughs) Yes. So her episode opens, as I have said... As so many do. <laughs> this one really does, though. Yes. And Jack <laughs> tells us, ah, trees. Yes, I like that. Part of me kind of hopes that there's going to be a point in one of these episodes where one of them says something like, "Like, boy, if I didn't know any better, I would swear that I was in British Columbia. <laughs> that would be great. I don't think they ever say that. There is an episode where Carter says that they believe that the ancients only put the Stargates on Earth-like worlds. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think I remember something to that to that effect. And I, I think you're right that we're never going to see anything quite like what I'm kind of hoping for, uh, because the show is never the show never breaks the fourth wall, except for maybe in 200. Yeah. And, like, I, I kind of respect it for that. Mm-hmm. It it takes itself just seriously enough. Yes. But not so seriously that Jack is not going to crack the joke to say that the path is traveled by someone. Or something. Dun-dun-dun. And I do appreciate his little bit of grumbling about having to walk 11 kilometers from the gate to the village. So, yes. And... That was that was pretty good. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's kind of like eleven clicks. Uh, so then, when they see the village and they see that it's medieval Europe, and Daniel says they must have been taken through the Antarctic Gate. Yeah, I was wondering about this. Keep talking. I thought that we had been under the assumption that the gold had never really used the Antarctic Gate. That they had found two Jaffa that had frozen to death after going through it once. Wait, they had found two Jaffa that had frozen to death after We don't find once. that out until much later. Well, no, I thought they had found the Jaffa in um, Maybe Solitudes. They... Maybe they Silly found the name. Jaffa in Solitudes? I can't I remember. I know they, they referenced did. the Jaffa later in um, Lost City, I think. Okay, but this does tie back to our conversation from a couple of episodes ago with um, Learning Curve. Yeah. Are, did the Gould use the gate? Did they not use the Arctic gate? Right, but if they did use the Antarctic gate, that would explain... I mean, the other sort of timeline problems aside... Yes. It would help explain how, you know, this Aztec-based civilization got off the planet. Yes. And, I mean, I, I mean obviously... I feel like that's the show and the character's way of helping everyone kind of wrap their heads around the idea that, listen, we've established in the movie in the early days of the show that the Earth Gate was buried. Yeah. In like 2000 BC or whatever it was. And they unburied it in the 20s, right? 30s, actually. Okay. Well, one way or another, it was buried for like 4,000 years. Yeah. So... If we're going to encounter humans that are not 
you know, Egyptian, essentially, like, like based, then they need a way to explain that away. And hey, look, an art, an Antarctic gate. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Also, I'm sorry. It was 1928 that the Stargate was unearthed. You were correct. I was wrong. Nice. I was confused because of uh, Stargate Origins. Yeah. I mean, it's either that or they came in ships, picked up a couple hundred humans, and flew away, which, again, like, as we discussed, if they were still around in in the in the Middle Ages, why didn't they conquer the world? Maybe it was the ancients were doing something? Because the ancients came back at some point. Right. We will find that out, sort of. Yeah. We definitely we get, like, yeah, we definitely get, like, winks and nods. Or do we get straight up, like, confirmation of that? We get confirmations seasons. of this. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So future knowledge, it's possible. Then, therefore, they were just doing like that would explain why the Antarctic Gate was active. Then, so so we know that there were ancients around. From we will know. Yes, we personally know uh, yes. <laughs> that there were ancients around from the, uh, you know, first century BC era through probably uh, up till around you know like 800 or so AD because we know they taught the Romans how to build the roads and we know that Merlin was an ancient so we know that there were ancients doing stuff and hanging around on earth for for like almost a thousand years possibly even a millennia we can say yes so that definitely could have affected things. It makes it interesting that during the mid during the midst of this, the Goulds show up and abduct a village or something. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't think too much about this. <laughs> That's probably a good idea. So I have another problem with this whole medieval uh, town. Go on, and. I realize that it's a complaint in every episode. We just talked about this last week. But it is especially, like, bothersome in this episode. Daniel comments that the sign is written in Middle English. And yet the people speak Modern English. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to loop back to the Middle English later. Okay. So, they head down the road. And they they see the village from the distance and determine that it is clearly Christian because there's a cross on top of one of the buildings. I really like when O'Neill says, "So what does that mean?" And Teal'c says, "It means there were most likely Christians residing here." O'Neill. Yes. That was and, great. The, and the little bit <laughs> between the two of them is like, like, wait, you've read the Bible? It's like, well, it's important in your culture. Have you not read the Bible, O'Neill? Actually, I'm listening to it on tape. Don't tell me how it ends. And I like to talk. I like when when it's like, or dude, you're uh, so you're saying that the school is pretending to be God. It's a bit much, isn't it? It's like yes and no. The Gould have been pretending to be gods the whole time. Is it so much of a stretch they would also pretend to be this god? I mean, they could definitely get away with the Old Testament god. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's a jealous god. Like Teal'c, I have read the Bible, so I'm familiar with the phrase that God is a jealous God. Yeah. I have actually never read the Bible. Like, I have never read it cover to cover, but that's right, you went to Catholic school. Right, yeah, we, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I went to Baptist school where they're like, 
you know, we had a Bible reading class. No, 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 no. Catholic school where, you know, like the Bible is there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, you know, the Catholics are so sure that they are, you know, the best Christians that it's like, well, we also have the best Bible. We're not going to teach you about it, but we have the best one. Trust me. Yeah, you add all those extra books. Well, 73, because both seven or three are like important, special, cool numbers. Okay, to be clear, you only add seven books. Well, no, no, I'm saying like we have a total of 73, whereas you have 66, which is one digit off from the mark of the devil. <laughs> Speaking of the devil. Yes. Let's talk more about this episode. All right. <laughs> yeah, they get into the village. Everyone runs away. Yes, they do. Yeah. I mean, that, this is not the first time that has happened. No, 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 no. Uh, Daniel tries to tell some of their peaceful travelers, but they that slam. That never works. Never works. Uh, they they spot this, this sign in the thing, which Jack asks, is this English? And it's not that hard to read. Like, if you pause it, you can make out most of what's happening, like or mo most of what it's saying. No, oh, I actually did not see it. Oh, you didn't? Well, I mean, I, like, saw it, but I didn't, like, try to read it. I mean, I, I paused it and read it, and yeah, like, sometimes like, there's weird, like, double letters and everything going on, but yeah, you can figure out what it says. Okay. So, then why couldn't they have had the villagers speak, like, archaic English? That would have been cool. That would have been very cool. And, but I, I think, I wonder if they made, like, the conscious decision not to, because it's like, whoa, wait, if we set this precedent now... <laughs> Are we going to have to start hiring linguists to come in to gin up weird, like, pigeon and creole languages for what, you know, if we have, say, like, an Aztec civilization, do we need to have someone come in to, like, gin up, like, a pigeon of, like, Aztec and English for every episode? I feel like they wouldn't, though, in much the same way that they don't do... They they only ever show them, like, having problems understanding people when the plot calls for it. They could have had them only speak an Old Earth dialect when the plot calls for it. Or if they just been, like, dropping, like, lots of, like, these and thous. Yeah. 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 Like, okay. sound like, maybe that'd not Middle English, but sound like Shakespeare, at least. Yeah, that'd be a good compromise. I'm on your side now. Okay. You talk me around to it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think right, on, right around now is when we get the theme. Yes. Right after they see the woman tied to the... Uh, yes. That plus the music definitely was giving me some flashes of future episodes in seasons 9 and 10. Yes. That, oh, that's that's very much like uh, the episode when we first meet the Ori. Yes. Hallowed are the Ori. Oh, yeah. It's a book of origin. Yes. They help the woman out. A uh, guy comes out. It's like in, you know, like dingy robes or whatever. Pleading for the woman's life. Which is ironic, considering that she's chained up in the middle of the village. Like, I feel like the village has already decided that her life is forfeit if she's chained yes. up in the middle of the village. And like, and now he's pleading for her life. Like, what is this? I don't know. This is our first uh, our first hint that apparently any strangers who come to the village through the Stargate must be demons. I mean, it's makes sense. The only one, only creature that's ever come through the Stargate before for them it has been the demon. So, of course they would think that. Yeah, but they don't look anything like the demon. We haven't even met the demon yet, so. Well, they also say that demons come in many, many, uh, you know, guises. So. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. So they save the girl from being tied, chained to the post. 
they haul her into Simon's hut. <laughs> Hovel. Yes, and interesting fact about Simon. Yes. The actor who plays him, David McNally. Yes. Also played Hanno, the villager who accused Teal'c of killing his family in Korai. I thought I recognized him from that. I also found out that he was in Atlantis, at least one episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's where we get into happy fun times for Stuart. Was he on the dead zone? No. God, no. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> so, here's where we get into happy fun times for Stuart. So, yes, Simon was played by David McNally. He was on another episode of SG-1, as we discussed an earlier one, and he was also in Atlantis. Mary is played by Laura Minnell. She will also be in an episode of Atlantis. Oh, okay. The canon, who we are yet to meet... He's a total that guy. He's played by A.C. Peterson. A total that guy. He will also be in a later episode of Atlantis as a sort of... He's like a magistrate or whatever. So again, like... A little typecast there. Basically playing the exact same character, only like without like the religious aspect to it. He was on the dead zone. Obviously. Oh, okay. obviously. It wouldn't be as simple as... Yeah. Yes. Okay. Now, here comes the extra double fun part. Mm-hmm. Here is Stuart's fun facts. Mm-hmm. Stargate Wiki, like, has nothing on me. Yeah. Laura Minnell played Thelma Harris in season three of Man in the High Castle. Okay. Maybe also parts of season two. I, also I have not seen season three or two, so. Doesn't matter. She plays a reporter. Doesn't matter. You know who else is in Man in the High Castle? Rufus Sewell. Okay. Sewell? I don't know how to pronounce his name. Sewell, probably. Probably. He played the bad guy, whose name escapes me, in A Knight's Tale. Ah. Who was a Who was a prominent character in A Knight's Tale? Chaucer. Geoffrey Chaucer, the writer. Mm-hmm. We just talked about that last week. And this episode name-dropped Chaucer because it's yes, Middle it English. Did. Pre-Chaucer. Nice! Everything's coming up, Stuart. Man, that felt like a segment on uh, Into the Wormhole. <laughs> with, you know, when they do the thing with the... Yeah, 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 with the stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Christopher Judge voiced the Unis, by the way, while we're talking about people doing things. Yes, I, I found that out at the very, very end on my second watch-through, because it's obviously as soon as I was done with the first watch, I'd be like, ah, well, moving on to the next thing in my life. I didn't even bother watching the credits. <laughs> I just happened to notice it this time around. Not quite as good as James Earl Jones, but what are you going to eh, do? Yeah, what are you going to do? Couldn't have him twice. Yeah. So like I said, they, they take Mary into Simon's... Hovel? Yeah. And they figure out that she has chicken pox, not demons. And that in a couple of days she'll be fine, and you definitely don't need to drill a hole in her head to release the demons. Which is apparently like their go-to method of solving problems in this so, village. fun fact about that. Bring it. Trepanation was a very common medical procedure at the time. It was, well, yes, it was used to re- to release demons, and it was also used to relieve swelling, cranial swelling. Uh, actually, we still sometimes do it to relieve cranial swelling. Think yeah. Star Trek Star Trek Four. Thank God, what is this? The Dark Ages? Yes, exactly. Um, so, contemporary accounts and forensic evidence suggest that the survival rate for trepanation was actually very high. That actually makes a fair amount of sense to me, because humans are surprisingly hardy. Yeah. 
And although everything was disgusting and filthy back then, and they had no concept of hygiene, humans are still surprisingly hardy. They also had, like, crazy immune systems because everything was disgusting and filthy. Yes. Didn't help them from the plague, but, you know. Well, your immune system can only do so much against that sort of thing. There were people that survived the plague, for the record. Yeah, no, I... I remember seeing something a few years back about there was like a village somewhere that had like an 80% survival rate. Must have been the, a genetic thing. It And that's what they nailed it down to was, yes, there was, there were like key genetic markers um, that they could like trace back based on like, like, like yeah. cataloging like family trees and whatnot. And the genetic marker is the dominant one. So it, so like their ancestors also have this marker. You mean their descendants? Well, but uh, their ancestors would too. So I mean, yeah. But I'm assuming in this I meant, case you meant, I meant descendants. descendants but, but yes, I wasn't it was not wrong. False. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and of course back then, because people traveled less, the fact that eighty percent of a village would be at least at least related relatively closely is not. Uh, as strange as it would be today like you know if you go to, to the town that i'm in now there's no way 80 percent of the people here are related but <laughs> yeah no no chance so anyway they don't drill a hole in her head uh i think now is when we first meet the cannon boom well it's funny you say that okay because he has the special ring Yes, yes, he does. Which reminded me of, of nothing other than the Ion Cannon from, I think, Red Alert. Okay. I think that was where you could like, use yeah. that, like, had that like special bonus weapon or something. I think it was Red Alert. Had, like, the Orbital Ion Cannon that you could call down. He just, like, tapped his ring. and like Yeah, I think, that was, I think that was in Red Alert. Yeah. I really only cared about Tesla Towers. Yes, but there's a pleasant symmetry, because the cannon calls forth the Ion Cannon. Mm. Yes. When they all wake up, they realize that Teal'c is being is to be tested. Yep. Because he's definitely a demon. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, obviously. He certainly has the voice of one. Yeah, nice, nice. I was trying to think. Yeah, yeah. They begin with a test to see if he... If there's a spot on his body that doesn't feel pain. And, of course, it would be the mark of the beast. And because he's Teal'c, he's not going to flinch when they put something hot on him. Right, like, I think I think this is the first time that we get any sort of inclination in the show that that's the case. Because even when we find out in um, Bane how he got the mark on his head, it doesn't, he doesn't say anything about, uh, and now I don't feel any pain there or anything like that. See, the way I saw this was, it's not necessarily true that he didn't feel pain, although it's possible, because... Because since he had molten gold poured inside, I mean, it's it's certainly possible that he wouldn't actually feel anything because it's just touching the metal. But even if he did feel pain, he's Teal'c. If they had stuck it on the on his cheek, he wouldn't have flinched because he's Teal'c. He would have grimaced, I think. Maybe. I mean, you do know that gold is like one of the best conductors, right? Yeah, so it would conduct the heat. Yeah, you're yeah. right. But since they had poured molten gold onto his head, they probably burned all of the nerve endings there. I would imagine. He did say it was extremely painful when it was when it happened. Indeed. 
<laughs> I think this actually may be the first episode where we get a solid Teal'c indeed drop. Like, in the sense that it's, like, very obviously, like, that's what he, like, like, I'm not saying he has never said indeed before this moment, but this I'm one is, like, sure the first. But this is, like, one of the first ones where it just sort of, like, jumped out at me. Okay. It will happen again. Oh, so many times. <laughs> not that he had noticed. <laughs> nice. Thank you. Although I, I would I, say that the indeed supercut is shorter than the Voyager some kind of supercut. <laughs> that's not that surprising. At the very least, some kind of takes more time to say it than indeed. And like, and there's part, a bunch of words after. And partway through the te- the Teal'c indeed t- supercut, there's a couple of Tuvoks saying indeed too. <laughs> That's pretty funny. You'll have to we'll, we'll have to share that. Yes. What I didn't understand from all this was that it's like we needed Daniel to tell us and Jack that the end result of this test was not good. Apparently, yeah. So now we head off to a lake. And again, it takes it, not again, but then in this sense, it takes Daniel like a little bit longer than I would expect for him to be like, oh no, it's the water test. This just makes me think of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. (laughs) If she weighs as much as a duck. And what else floats? Very small rocks. (laughs) She turned me into a newt. I got better. (laughs) Anyway. So they do the water test, and into the water Teal goes, and not out of the water does Teal come. So I had forgotten... Teal is dead. I had forgotten how this scene played out, and I was half expecting Teal to just come walking out of the water holding the rock. I was kind of confused as to why they had someone else carrying the rock. That what? Yeah, that's a good point. Why did they, they have someone else carrying the rock? Like, they already have, like, the oh-so-convenient prisoner right there. What do they care if they burden him with a big rock? I don't know. Very strange. So, yes. Teal'cus died. It's... It's very sad. Yeah. Jack gets, like, knocked in the face because he's freaking out. They all start screaming. He's freaking out, man. Yeah, man. Carter sheds a tear. Yeah. I swear I think maybe, like, Jack shed a tear as well. Yeah, I don't think Daniel did anything. Nah, he's Daniel. Yeah, you know, the stoic one. (laughs) Well, Teal'c didn't shed a tear either. How could you tell? He was underwater. Maybe it was all tears. That's right. The whole lake is Teal'c's tears. (laughs) They they go back to the village. (laughs) Teal'c is laid out on a table, and there's, like, acolytes or whatever attending to his dead body. The canon comes around to say that he'll be given a Christian burial, and the rest of you are free to go, leave, and never return. Well, they say he'll be given a Christian burial if they'd like. Oh, okay. I, I couldn't I couldn't quite make out what he had said. Um, I think I, I thought that's what he had said the first time around, and it didn't sound the same the second time, so like I just chalked it up to weirdness. Yeah, I watched, uh, I watched these with subtitles specifically because of this sort of thing. Okay, nice. That's why um, I, like, I can see the, the mistakes in the subtitles. Like, the fact that they almost always spell Asgard with a U. <sighs> That's why I turn the subtitles off. It just gets too <laughs> annoying. Anyway. The canon wanders away, and Simon comes around. He said he's gonna... Like, he'll... I think I think he tells him he's gonna escort them back to the, to the circle, or at least, like, out of the village. Because, obviously, like, no one in the village goes anywhere close to the Stargate, because it's the Circle of Darkness. Yeah, and they tell him that if he buries it, they'll be fine. And he's like, he can't do that because he can't go near it. Right. Then they ask if they can have all their stuff back. And he's like, well, if I give you your stuff back, can you 
protect us from the demon. It's a fair point. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. He's like, okay, well, hold that thought. I need to go drill a hole in Mary's head after all. Daniel's not okay with that. Yeah, he's like, dude, I thought we went through this. <laughs> they all head into the hovel at a certain point. They don't drill a hole in the in, in her head. Carter uses a weird, like, stick-on thermometer. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, makes sense. Like, mm. you know, whatever is reacting to the temperature, it would make, you know, probably more sanitary than carrying around, like, a, you know, one that would go in the their mouth or their ear. Yeah. You know, single use, throw it away, smaller, lighter, easy. Mm. And then Teal wakes up. He because does. obviously Teal'c can't die. Duh, yet. he's Teal'c. Duh, he's Teal'c. Team gathers around. They're all very, very excited that Teal'c is alive, obviously. I mean, aren't we all? And Peter DeLuise runs around screaming. Oh, okay. So this is where Peter DeLuise comes in. I thought it was earlier. <laughs> and actually, I thought I thought that villager was a woman when I was watching it. I thought they were all women. But according to the Stargate... According to the Stargate Wiki, the one that runs around the, runs around screaming is Peter DeLuise. I mean, listen, like, don't joke. If you were ever involved oh. with something like this on this level, you would totally like put yourself in. Like, oh, a absolutely! Bit. No, I, I, I don't, yeah. uh, I don't begrudge the man his, you know, fun at all. That's cool yeah. that he has a cameo in every episode yeah. he worked on. Like, maybe not like Quentin Tarantino level. Nah. Like some of some of Tarantino's cameos are great. Some of them are like, "Why are you here, man?" <laughs> yeah, and it's like uh, Alfred Hitchcock has a cameo in every one of his films. Yes, usually not as bad as Quentin Tarantino's. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, like Ron Howard is in Clint Howard is in all of Ron Howard's films. <laughs> I mean, Clint Howard is also like a solid that guy actor in his own right, who's in tons of movies beyond that. It's not like the only work he gets is. He's no Johnny Drama, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. So Clint Howard, yes, is in all of Ron Howard's films, which is why earlier this year he had the distinction of being in both Star Trek and Star Wars within a few months of each other. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. Like, like I already knew this fact, but it's still sort of like, other than Simon Pegg, how many people get to say something like that? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, yeah, because Clint Howard... Brief aside, Clint Howard, as some people know, was in an original series Star Trek episode, uh, The Corbin Might Maneuver, uh, where he played an alien. Uh, and then he has had bit parts in other episodes of Star Trek. So he was a he's a veteran Star Trek guest star. So they brought him in for a bit part in the series finale of Discovery. And then that was in January or February? somewhere in the beginning of this year. And then he was, because Ron Howard directed Solo, a Star Wars story, Clint Howard mm -hmm. had, an, had an appearance in that. So, yeah. Nice. Good on you, Clint Howard. Mm-hmm. I most remember Clint Howard for Apollo 13. Yeah. I'll get back to you, Jane. Yeah, and Clint Howard is one of those people that whenever he shows up in something, I immediately know it's Clint Howard because he has a very recognizable face. And voice. Yes. Yes. So, back to this episode, which yes. just, which sadly does not have Clint Howard. I'm pretty sure Clint Howard was never in Stargate. I'd remember that. How great would that be, though? Well, the Sean is. Nice. You know, the other short uh, genre guest star with a 
distinctive voice. And a bald head, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're basically interchangeable. <laughs> so, one way or another, all of our heroes get tied, get chained up at the posts, along with Mary. Mm-hmm. And the Unos comes back to collect his five victims. Yeah, and he... At no point does he mention that Teal'c is a Jaffa, which I thought right, was weird. Right, <laughs> Like, all he says is, like, you're not of this world. It's like, doy. Yeah. I was also thinking that, that his, like, unchaining process took way longer than I feel like it <laughs> yes. should have. And I feel like he should have said they were not of this world before he unchained them, too. Uh, yeah, but, like, or, or like, like, like while he's unchaining, because obviously he doesn't care. Like, you know, five people are five people. What does he care? <laughs> but how does he not recognize a Jaffa? I know, right? Anyway. He should have told Tilk to Cree. <clears throat> so they they all get hauled off, and what I really like about this bit after they've been hauled off is that Jack is looking around, he sees that they're up on this like ridge, like hill or whatever, and there's trees below them, and he just looks around and he looks back at Carter. He does nothing other than look back at her. He doesn't nod, he doesn't like give a gesture, just looks back at her, she looks back at Daniel, and like that was enough information to communicate to all of them it was like we're going to throw ourselves off the hill now. Yeah, and I totally believe that Carter could have inferred that, but Daniel couldn't have. They've been knocking around together for a while now. Hmm, okay. Yeah, and I suppose it makes sense. They got to this place where they were up along this steep hill. You know, they're probably all thinking, we need, we, we need to get away from this guy. Oh, no, wait. Jack just looked back. Carter just looked back. We have a way of getting away from this guy. By the way, uh, we, we passed it, but... um. As the Unis was unchaining them, and Jack is being Jack, mm-hmm. the Unis picks him up by the throat and then throws him down, and Jack says, Oh, my apple. <laughs> oh, I missed that. <laughs> yeah. You know, presumably talking about how his Adam's apple had been injured, but <laughs> it was just an interesting line. Yeah, no, I, I definitely missed that. I, I was picking up on his, you know, other witticisms and whatnot, but I missed that one. So, good call out. I thought it was an amusing line. Yeah. They go tumbling down the hill, they run off into the woods. Mm-hmm. U- Unos catches back up to them, and right at that time, Simon shows up with some of their gear and the staff weapon. Yep. Which is after- enough. Is here. Yeah. Yes. And, and after lots of coaxing, Jack finally convinces Simon to fire upon the Unos, and then fire again, and then fire again. And if he had just fired more quickly... Yeah, I, I mean, like, I'm willing to forgive him the slowness on the first firing, but I, I I feel like if most people were in that situation, if they had fired the first time, saw that the guy was still standing, they would have just, like, lit into them as fast as they possibly could. Yeah. From there. Like, I definitely could understand, like, fumbling and hesitation before the first shot, and a little hesitation after the first shot to see, like, what effect it had. And then it's like, oh, no, the big monster's still coming at me. Yeah, because the staff weapon is slow, but it's not that slow. He could have gotten a few more shots off if he had been faster at it. Oh, easily. And speaking of the staff weapon, it apparently has a really, really bright flash... Because twice in this episode, people either look away or are told to look away slash shield their eyes when Teal'c uses it to bust chains. Okay, so I don't think it's the Flash. I think it's, like, the, like, blast itself that they're shielding themselves from. Okay, I will allow that. At least that was my impression. Yeah, 
Okay, I will allow that. I I had not considered that. I was just thinking like uh, brightness. Mm. Yeah. Jack sends Mary, Sam, and Daniel back to the gate to the Circle of Darkness. Mm. While he and Teal pursue the Unos, who is pursuing Simon, who is pursuing, well, nothing, really. He's just pursuing, like, not dying. It's a noble pursuit. It's all that any of us could really hope for. Mm. And none of us will achieve. Speak for yourself. You intend to live forever? Yes. Mm. Getting some Star Trek quotes in there? Yes. They catch up to the Unos just as he's about to kill Simon and the cannon, because, by the way, the cannon's here. I don't know why. Yeah, that was weird that the cannon showed up. Uh, yeah, up like, why? That? Why would? Well, I only barely understand why Simon followed them. Like, what did Simon think he was going to achieve? As best as he could, like, and how did Simon even find them in the woods? But like, all that Simon knew was they were being hauled off to the Circle of Darkness. What did he hope to achieve by like running after them with their stuff and the staff weapon? If he was so hesitant to fire upon the Unos in the first place, what like, what was his plan here? And why did he know to find them in the woods? And then, why is the cannon there? I, the, my only thought is the cannon heard the staff blasts and went out to... But that's still weird that the cannon... I mean, I guess we, I mean, I guess we never do know how far from the village they are. That might... Yeah, but why? Hmm. Still strange. It's still strange. Anyway... We don't see it, but the Unos gets killed. Yes. So two thoughts ran through my head simultaneously when we cut back to the cannon and Simon there and the Unos dead. Mm-hmm. One was, obviously, yep. the cannon now has a gold inside of him. And the yeah. second thought was, wait, did the Unos have a gold inside of him? Because like we never really... We were told the Unos are the original host of the gold. But he's like a servant of Sokar. And, I, and we never... I had it, assumed that he did, but yeah, I guess we didn't actually know that for sure until just now. Right, so it was always sort of like, like back-of-my-mind thing that it was like, well, I guess he has a ghoul in him because he's an Unos, and all we know of the Unos is they have ghoul in them, I guess? Actually, I think Daniel comments about it having a ghoul symbiote earlier when Jack's saying that the Unos is not a demon, is trying to tell Simon that the Unos is just a creature. I think Daniel mentions that it has a ghoul symbiote. Just a big, ugly creature. Who's inhabited by a ghoul that gives it great strength, intelligence, and the ability to regenerate. Oh, no, he probably does. Because, like, Daniel says, like, two or three things that make that makes Jack have to be like, well, it's not so bad. And Daniel's like, except for he's playing, you know. Except for yeah. He's a, yeah. So, okay, okay, okay. But anyway, no, totally obvious that if there was a ghoul inside the Unos, which apparently we were led, we were led to believe there is, it's now inside the cannon. But just in case you missed it, when they all head off to the Circle of Darkness, we focus back on the Unos for about ten seconds. Mm-hmm. Just in case yeah. the audience didn't get it the first time. And then, of course, Carter senses the gold. Little slow on the uptake there, Carter. Little bit. But, yes, Carter notices the gold. They kill the gold cannon. And that is our episode. Yeah. The gold, the the cannon apologizes as he dies. It dies as he dies. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I said apologizes and just wanted to keep going with the eyes. I guess even if you're sort of like a twisted, dark religious figure, I think on some level you do kind of believe whatever it is that you're hiding behind to justify your evil, dark, twisted stuff. 
and apologizing before you meet the higher being that you ascribe to believing to it's just sort of like the rules it's just like it's the rules of engaging with the afterlife Mm. yeah and conveniently next week's episode is root rules of engagement which i love so much oh yeah me too hey remember when we had the guild wars guild that we named sgx because of that episode god remember guild wars (laughs) i know right (laughs) (laughs) all right well thank you for listening this week if you enjoyed this you should also check out our other podcast delta flyer you can find a review both on your podcast player of choice and you can also reach us at our email address stargateweekly at gmail.com i'm at tyrannicus on twitter and i'm at gamicus and you can follow the show at stargate weekly and that's our show yeah <laughs>